You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Romans six twelve through 23. Let us not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God for instruments as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your bodies as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the snow did come this week, right? And, and um, I am kind of a kid at heart. And so I am, one of the things I do for my, our family, we have a little text thread that we are constantly talking to one another on. And uh, I'm looking up projections for how many inches of snow are coming. And I'm sending those pictures to them. And one of the things that you will hear from meteorologists and, and like the National Weather Service, they'll say, hey, look, especially if they know there's going to be a fair amount of snow, and ice is like you need to be prepared if the electricity goes out right because particularly with ice and power lines it can affect the grid and you can be without power at a time that you really need it because it's so cold and so of course we are as a family trying to think what does that mean for us do we need a generator those those kinds of questions thankfully this week none of us had to deal with that that i'm aware of at least in the in this sort of tulsa proper here I know that some have had to deal with that. But I began to think about um, this passage that we're looking at tonight and the threat of losing electricity and thinking about how dependent we are on something fueling the electricity so that we can have things like heat, so we can have things like in the summertime that we can have air conditioning or we can run our uh, appliances or, or charge our phones or whatever it may be Without the electricity in our homes, I don't know how many of us are really ready for that, right? Like to survive some of that and for a long period of time 
is, uh, is really challenging. And I was thinking about Romans 6. You just heard Marla read that. And what are the things that Paul is doing in Romans 6? And we began looking at this last week. Is He's trying to help us see that in the Christian life, there is an electricity or a fuel that we must have in order to say no to sin and to grow in godliness. And, and tonight's passage is no exception. There is something that the Lord intends to power our growth. There is something that the Lord intends to do for us as fuel almost to, to, to help us become more Christ-like and to resist uh, things that are not Christ-like. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open to uh, Romans chapter 6. We're continuing our series uh, in the book of Romans called Reign of Grace. And uh, as we do this tonight, as we really look at the rest of, of chapter 6, almost the rest of chapter 6, we're going to save uh, chapter, or excuse me, verse 23 by itself uh, for the future, but uh, up through 22 today. As we look at these verses, I want to invite you to just see one thing tonight, and it's this. God's staggering grace is the fuel for your sanctification. Let me just say it again. God's staggering grace is the fuel for your sanctification. So beginning with me there, if you would, looking at verse 12, let's review a little bit uh, of, of what we talked about last week. Last week, we began to see Paul line out for us this truth. Sin does not have the same power over you as it did before you came to Christ. Paul is trying to help us see that, again, we are a, a new creation, and when we became Christians, if you're a believer here tonight, you are endowed with a new identity that you put on and were to live in and within. And Paul's point in the first half of chapter 6 is that because you now have that new creation identity, you actually have the ability now, do you have the power with the Spirit's help to say no to sin? And actually not just say no to sin in, in, in you know, moments that are really spread out, but rather say no to sin in a sustained way, so much so that you could actually say about a particular area of your life, I actually have victory over X in my life. That's Paul's point in the first part of, of chapter 6. And as we come to verse 12, Paul is going to continue to help us understand this. Why? Because you and I really struggle with this. For those of you in this room tonight, we say, Brad, I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I'm following him. I know that he saved me. I see the fruit of that salvation in my life. Many of us would also say, I also, Brad, see some deep brokenness in me. I see things inside of me that make me wonder if I really am saved, maybe. Or I'm, I have some real habitual sin that I just can't seem to get over the hump. And I don't know how God would still forgive me anymore. And we have this tension in, in the Christian life of, of the reality 
of, of a new identity in Christ, but yet seeing indwelling sin within us. Is that fair, right? We, are, we, we struggle with that deeply. And Paul knows that. So Paul is, as a gracious uh, um, man and, and, and knows the heart of man and the, and the heart of God, he is going to help us tonight dr- drill down a little bit more to give us a sense of what freedom looks like, what change looks like. Last week we asked the question like, why do we were always wondering, how can I get better? He's going to continue to help us answer that question tonight. So look with me if you would, beginning there, verse 12. Let me just read it for us again. Paul says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And then continuing on into 13, he says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. I want you to notice something about verses 12 and 13. This is the first time that Paul has done this, but what is verse 12 and verse 13? Are those um, statements about your identity in Christ? Or are they commands? Are they imperatives, things that you are being told by Paul, this is how to live? I'll go ahead and answer the question for you. It's the second thing. Paul has spent a lot of time in the first part of Romans talking about the depravity that you and I find ourselves born into and talking about how we are in deep deep need of rescue. He moves into talking uh, in in chapters 4 and 5 about the reality of how the gospel speaks to that, how that God's great rescue mission through Jesus is the answer to that sin that you and I find ourselves in. And he has been drilling down for many, many verses, here's who you are in Christ. But as we come to verses 12 and 13, Paul is shifting a bit. He is actually saying, don't forget your identity, and this is a big part of what we need to talk about tonight, but don't forget who you are in Christ. But Paul is, is shifting to say, because of that, here's how to live. So, verses 12 and 13 is Paul commanding us, directing us to live in a certain way. He is giving us a crystal clear sense that there are things that we are to say no to. Like practically, you and I are to resist, we are to say no to with our actions. Or said another way, the the first action in applying Romans 6 is understanding what should be resisted at all costs. First, I want you to notice that there is a possibility for sin to reign in our bodies. It's another way of just saying like in our lives, right? And I use the word possibility because the way that Paul crafts his argument here is to say that sin is not supposed to reign in our lives, But because sin is such a powerful force, we do as Christians have indwelling sin that we are going to be fighting against for a lifetime. That sin in your life, as specific as you even want to be, you know what those things are. That sin wants to take back over in your life. It actually wants to take back over the power that Jesus has secured for you and, and puts you in its chains. That's why Paul adds that sin tries to make it obey its passions. This is such, such a helpful verse 
to understand the nature of sin. Paul is saying that we need to be hyper alert, hyper aware in the ways that our desires or our passions or our feelings tell us something that is contrary to the Word of God. And, and those desires and, and passions and feelings uh, may be something that's happening on the inside of you, something that you are feeling like this is what's true about me or this, is, this desire is something I need to go after, though it may be contrary to God's Word. But I would also say we need to be vigilant about the ways in which culture says this, these kinds of things to us as well. So it's, it's both an um, internal force but an external force, and Paul is saying, sin is going to try to make you obey its passions. In fact, the enemy is so good at even using God-given desires and turning them so that they become secret tunnels for the forces of evil to enter our lives. This is why when we talk about idolatry, we say that idolatry isn't necessarily just making bad things you know, God things. It's actually making good things God things. There are things in culture, there are things inside of us that you and I know that we just need to re resist. They're wrong. They're bad, okay? Idolatry, though, is also when we take a good thing and we make it an ultimate thing, a God thing. And Paul is saying that the enemy is really good at taking those good, even those good things and making them the most important things to you so that you will obey its desires and passions. Let me, let me say it this way. Bad things are bad, but good things can become bad when they're disordered. When they are focused on meeting our needs, our desires. But there's more. In the first part of verse 13, Paul says that the actual members of our body can be used as instruments of unrighteousness. Now that word instrument, Paul is using to mean, uh, and, and often uses it to mean weapon in the Bible. And here's Paul's point. The enemy likes to get a hold of the weaponry of God that is good and turn it against God in his battle of rebellion. And, and Paul gets very specific here. He is saying that we are not to use our brains our mouths, our eyes, our hands, our sexuality, that's what the word instrument means, or any part of us for sins uprising in our lives. Again, Paul is, is saying this is how you live now in light of your identity in Christ. So Paul is saying that when we give into using our bodies, and all that we are for disordered purposes, we are actually using what God intends to be weapons of righteousness as weapons of unrighteousness against him. Now, as so often is the case, the Bible does not stop with just no. Some of you grew up in faith traditions where the word you remember the most is the word no. Or don't do this, or don't do that, right? But the Bible, as it does, almost always, it never stops with just a no. 
Now, the Bible is clear. We just saw it. There are things that are no's. There are things that we are to say no to. In fact, Paul helps us make the turn here to see that though the no is there, there is actually a stronger yes. Look there at the second half of verse 13. Paul says, we are to present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Again, Paul is beating this drum. The yes here is that we need to see and believe and walk this out in our lives that we are dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul gives us the inverse of using our bodies in unrighteous ways by saying that we need to see that our members are actually, if we're a Christian, instruments of righteousness, weapons in the service of God. And then he closes this section in verse 14 by saying that there is a new principle of authority, or there should be a new principle of authority in your life, uh, a new yes in the midst of this battle, and it's the one that we've actually seen the last two weeks, and it's this, you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul is trying to say to us, there is a power, if you're a believer, that is on the inside of you, that if you will move more deeply into it, it actually gives you the courage, the strength, the tenacity, the, the ability over a long period of time to say no to sin. Now this brings us to verse 15. In much the same way that Paul began Romans 6, he asked another rhetorical question. If you remember at the very beginning of this chapter, Paul asked, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And now here in verse 15, he asks this. He says, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Now these two questions really flow from the same concern that Paul anticipated the readers of this would have had when it comes to the issue of sin and grace, right? Again, we said this last week, but if forgiveness is always on the other side of repented sin, why not just do whatever we want that makes us feel good, that makes us happy, that helps us live it up in this life, if we know that God will always be merciful? That was the concern that Paul, again, is going to address here. And here, I actually didn't, I don't think I said this last week. I actually think that the question is a legit question. It's a valid question. If grace can be abused, is it really grace? If grace can be abused like this, is that a good thing? I think I would say the answer to that is it's not. And so the question is a legitimate question. What's the point of grace? Now, I want you to notice how Paul deals with this argument by looking at another issue. Uh, it's the issue of freedom. And he looks at the issue of freedom through freedom's counterpart, slavery. Look with me, if you would, at verse 16. A slave, by definition, is one who obeys another person. Or maybe we could say it this way. A slave's identity is not wrapped up in his desires, but in the desires of his master. 
And, and when we come across these passages that deal with the issue of, of the you know, words like slavery or, or slave, I need to just say here, part of the challenge of this metaphor is that we process those words through our most recent history in the United States. But this is written in a, a different context, a Near Eastern context. And in this context, it's actually more helpful for us to think about the issue of slavery or a slave uh, through the lens of what it means to be an employee. And, and so let's think of it this way. When you, if you have the blessing of having a job right now and you uh, arrive at work, again, some of you may be still zooming in or working remotely, but, but whatever it means for you to clock in, when you arrive at work, uh, your time is no longer your own, right? Because your employer is paying you for your time. And the negligence of this would, would mean that you would lose your job because you cannot be paid for not working. Paul uses essentially this analogy to show us that slaves of one master cannot be serving another. Right? Slaves of obedience leading to righteousness should not be acting like slaves of sin leading to death. It's inconsistent. Again, he's trying to help us understand our new creation identity here. He is wanting us to, to live out who we are. Paul is saying that for the believer to continually and habitually pursue sin is to work against who he or she is and against what God has done through Christ in their lives. That's the point of verses 17 and 18. Look there, the point here is that the merciful transforming work that God did in the life of a believer is, is meant to move us towards freedom from sin, liberty from the supremacy of sin in our life, and into a new life that looks like being a slave of righteousness. We said, that last, we said this last week, and it's so important if you're a Christian. The miracle of the gospel is not that it just changes a person's eternal destination. That's a big one. I'm grateful for that. It's no less than that. But it changes a person's life now. That's the intent. The gospel of God in your life is meant to be a real-time power to ward off the temptations of sin. See, sin for the believer is not just an indiscretion or a blunder. Uh, it's actually living in a contrary way to who you are in Christ. It's, it's living in, a, in direct opposition to, to, uh, to whom you belong. Paul is trying to, again here in chapter 6, he's shouting it from the rooftops. Our reality as Christians is that we have been set free so that we can actually say no to sin. And even maybe more, more direct than that, we can actually conquer sin in our lives. Now look with me, if you would, at the second half of verse 19. This is a critical text for us tonight. Here's what it says. Let me read it for us. It's so important. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to, what does it say there? 
sanctification. Have you ever wondered uh, if the theological term that you've heard, sanctification, is actually in the Bible? Here's, here's one. It's actually getting ready to come up again in just a moment. It is a $5 theological word. What is sanctification? Well, this is how I want to get at it. Paul is doing something here. He is trying to help us remember what our lives were like before Christ. And by the way, like, can you remember that? I mean, some of you, by God's grace, grew up in a Christian home, and you might, you might say, there was never a time that I didn't know that Jesus was my Savior. But some of you, I know some of your stories, and you came to faith a little bit later in life, and your testimony is powerful in that, and, and you might be able to remember what your life was like before Christ. There was a time in the past before God saved any Christians, and, and whether that was as a young child or later in life, we were slaves to unrighteousness, to impurity, and to cor- corruption. And notice what Paul says about sin here. He is saying it is never satisfied, right? Lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. He's saying sin always craves more and desires more. But I love this. Don't miss the hope that Paul offers here in verse 19. Paul is saying that the gospel that compels Christians to present our members as slaves to righteousness is the fuel that brings about change in our lives, or that's what the word sanctification is about. Maturing in Christ, growing in Christ. That's what, that's what sanctification is. Some of us here tonight are so frustrated by what we perceive as our lack of process in our Christian walk, particularly as it relates to sin. And Paul is saying here that It is an intentional process in which you cooperate with God in what the Bible calls sanctification. So we're kind of circling back to this idea again. Paul is trying to say to you, if you're a Christian here tonight, it's actually not enough for you to only remember your identity in Christ. He is saying... That is the foundation, that is the fountain from which you draw, but there is also action on your part, intentionality, cooperation with the Spirit on your part to walk this out. And Paul is saying that it is a progression in one way or another, right? Your life is going to either move towards more brokenness, more sin, more challenge, more difficulty as it relates to your spiritual life, or it progresses towards more holiness. Now, I don't think Paul is saying that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's always forward momentum. But what I do think he's saying is that what generally you should be seeing as you look back at the last year or the last five years or the last 10 years of your life is a, a growth in Christ, that true sanctification is happening. In other words, we need to be careful not to be too hard on ourselves, too disappointed in ourselves when some of what our Christian walk feels like is one step forward, two steps back. Paul is not arguing for a only moving forward, never moving back at, F, you know, at any point. 
I think Paul recognizes that, that sanctification is a process. But the, the general process, like if you look at it at a very high level of the course of years, the hope of the gospel is that as you participate in the sanctifying work of God in your life, you can begin to find more and more and more victory over sin. Now look with me if you would at verse 20. Paul uses a play on words when he says this. Let me just read it for us. He says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Paul is using the word free here to actually describe a person who isn't free. Here's what I mean. He is saying that before Christ, you and I were not under the control of righteousness. You and I were not holy. And notice the language again. Paul says that because of this, we were slaves to sin. So his point is that to be free from righteousness, listen, is not freedom at all. In fact, that is the tragedy of sin. We can be so convinced that true freedom is having no boundaries, no rules, but what we end up finding is that it actually leads to more bondage and more slavery to sin. Some of you in this room can testify to that. I can. And then Paul, in typical fashion, anticipates that some of you are still skeptical. If the fuel for sanctification is moving more deeply into the gospel and the grace of God, he reminds us about the fruit of our lives before Jesus. Look there at verse 21. He underlines the path that we were on and where we were headed. And he says emphatically, no, it, these things don't bring freedom to us. He, he goes even further and says that it leads to death. I wonder what you do when you, when you hear, I mean, when Paul says that sin can lead to death, do you believe that? Right? But if God intervenes with his grace and his mercy, we can find real freedom. We actually find Again, eternal life, but life in the here and now. But here's Paul's bigger point. It begins there in verse 22. Paul, Paul's thought here could be phrased as a question. If you live and move within the grace of God in your life, why would you go back to your former life? This really gets at the rhetorical question, right? The anticipated question from the critique of God's grace and how he forgives. Paul is trying to say, if you have experienced the mercy of God, why would you go back to your former life? Why would you leave the path of sanctification where you get to experience more and more of the mercy and the grace and the freedom of God and, and relapse into the former bondage? Again, Paul's trying to drive this thought home. It is in the gospel that you and I flourish and thrive. It's what Jesus talks about when he says, I came to bring you life and life more abundantly. The gospel creates people who are filled with the spirit and whose lives are no longer characterized by the character of the world. And because of this, they are living real life, a life that is full. It's abundant. It's one in which you and I are flourishing. And 
This brings us to the big thing that I want you to see this evening. God's staggering grace is the fuel for your sanctification. Here's what I mean. Paul's point in much of Romans 6 is that as you move more deeply into the gospel, you produce the fruit of the gospel. The more deeply you move away from it, you produce the fruit of unrighteousness. But I don't want you to miss this. Paul is also saying that the gospel experienced creates a posture towards sin that requires action on your part. Paul is saying that, uh, by the way, this is in no way a works righteousness thing that Paul is trying to do here, but rather he's saying the way in which you and I cooperate with the Spirit's sanctifying work in our life to, to resist sin, we will not grow in our walk with Christ unless we participate with, with God in that. In much of what we've looked at today, Paul is commanding some action on our part. Consider yourselves dead. Let not sin reign. Do not present your members to sin. What are those? Those are commands. Those are imperatives, right? One of the most important things that we need to understand in the Christian life, particularly as we see this happen in the Scriptures, is how to navigate the indicatives of Scripture, the statements about who we are in Christ, and the imperatives of Scripture, the commands or the instructions that the writers of the New Testament lay out for us. And what Paul is doing here in Romans 6 is giving us a deeper understanding to the pathway of freedom. See, gaining freedom from sin, which leads to growing in godliness, involves both indicatives and imperatives. You have to have both. A follower of Jesus has to both understand and believe certain things about their identity, who they are in Christ, and that belief must lead to tangible, real, and physical action steps. Indicatives are where it all be, it's where it all begins. That's why the big thing I want you to remember tonight is that it's, it is God's grace that fuels your sanctification. But that grace is also intended to be the fuel that motivates your action as well. Belief acts upon these, these realities. And when you actually add action to belief, it strengthens belief, which in turn leads to more action. Indicatives, imperatives, super important, and they're always connected in the Scriptures. Sanctification is the progressive application of both of those things over time. And here's why this is important. Actions without understanding of who you are in Christ leads to legalism. Leads to you trusting in your own righteousness to earn favor from God or to maintain God's favor. But... Knowing who you are in Christ without decisive actions, cooperating with the Spirit leads to license and a passive Christianity. If you asked me, Brad, what, what do you struggle with more, legalism or license? I, I struggle with license. I struggle with knowing who I am in Christ but not acting on it. And here's what we need to ask of our hearts this evening. When it comes to...
gives us a, a good sense of control over our lives. While some of you here tonight want to spend more time thinking and meditating on the truths or reasons behind spiritual growth, they're, they're typically, again, this is a generalization, there are why people and there are what people in the world, right? But there is another aspect of this that we need to consider. Do we have the indicative imperative sight our lives in the season we find ourselves in right now? And this is what I mean. Perhaps because of your personality or your reaction to your church background or because you're in a particular season of life, you may need to think through whether your spiritual focus should be directed towards indicatives more, who I am in Christ, or imperatives. What specific steps do I need to take in order to grow? Here's what I mean. Some of you may need to spend more time digging into and discovering the beautiful realities of your union with Christ. You need to read some really good books. You need to meditate on the power of Christ. You need to memorize scripture. You need to bask in the sunshine of the truth of the scriptures. You need to read Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland and go deep. Actually, there's a follow-up book called Deeper. You could read that one too. But some of you here tonight need to lay hold of what you're doing. You need to not go to certain places. You need to get some new friends. You need to end a relationship. You need to turn off the devices. You need to creatively deal with your idle time. Friends, Paul is trying to say we are in a war. And sometimes the battle requires theory and strategy. In, in short, Paul is saying that we should, I mean, he's, he doesn't say it this way, but this is what's coming out of Romans 6. We wage our warfare with both indicatives and imperatives. We need to be aware of our tendency towards one over the other, and we need to consider the season that we find ourselves in as a believer. We may need more indicatives than imperatives or vice versa. Let's end here. I know I've went long. Sorry about that. Sanctification happens as you persistently and progressively agree with what the Bible says about you. But it also means every time you connect your identity to Christ to your body, or we could say your actions, you will sow righteousness. I heard a pastor say this one time. It's one of my all-time favorite uh, just statements. Holiness is a harvest. When we connect... Indicatives and imperatives together, we are making a glory. In our lives, the power of the gospel in our lives, the rescuing victory that we can find in Jesus. Friends, yes, sin is going to be present in your life, but it is not in control. If you're a Christian here tonight, it is not the power Paul's charge to us in Romans 6 is, since Christ died to sin, you and I live in light of Christ's victory over sin. Man, that should, for some of you here tonight, sound like the greatest news ever. Paul is saying to us, if, if you're in Christ, you are free, which is in his way of saying that now that you have the spiritual ability with the aid of the Spirit to do battle with sin and win, you can be free. But Paul is saying that this freedom is what sanctification looks like. 
So like, if you would say, I can't characterize my growth in Christ as freedom, you probably need to reach out and talk to somebody. Process that and try to get a In other words, the gospel of justification by faith, which is the big theme of Romans, rightly understood and experienced, leads to sanctification. More sanctification, more victory, not sin. It's the gospel that is meant to free us from condemnation and wrath so that we can run after righteousness. Let's pray together.